you have a Bible and you want to follow along, or there's one in the rack in front of you, and by the way, if you don't have a Bible of your own, we would love for you to take that one and, and claim it and make it yours, put your name in it, take it home, and most importantly, read it. Uh, but if you want to follow along, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 today. If I haven't met you yet, I'm Pastor Scott, and I'm glad you're here, and I have the privilege of uh, opening God's Word with you and pointing some things out. Let's, uh, let's pray. I want to pray for the Gideons and their ministry and pray for our time together. Will you bow with me? Father, it is such uh, a wonderful gift that you've given us in your Word, and um, Lord, it's, it's a... It's a wonderful gift that we easily take for granted because we just can't even imagine uh, it not being freely available and, and can't imagine not having the freedom to read it. And that's, that's not true all over the world. And so I, I thank you for the Gideons and the wonderful work they're doing of distributing your truth to people around the world. And I pray for them. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray you'd grant them success. I mean, May your word go forth, and uh, just as you promised in Isaiah, not to return to you empty, but to accomplish the purpose for what you sent it. And Lord, send forth your word now. Send it into our hearts, pierce our hearts, and help us respond the way you would want us to, because you are good. We ask your spirit to be in our midst now and working because of the grace and mercy you have shown us in Jesus. Amen. So once there was a father who had two sons, and one day the younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So his father divided the property between his two sons, and not long after that, the younger son gathered up everything and took off. And he went to a very distant land, and there he wasted it all. Wasted it all in reckless living. And when he had spent all of his money, it happened that a, a famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in serious need. So he went to one of the citizens of the, that country and hired himself out, and the citizen sent him into the fields to uh, feed his pigs. And this young man was longing to fill his stomach with the pig slop. Nobody was giving him anything. And, and one day he came to himself and he thought, what am I doing here? How many of my father's servants have more than enough bread to eat? And here I am, and I'm starving to death. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to get up, and I'm going to go back to my father. And I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but please... Could you make me like one of your hired servants? So he got up and he went back home. Went back to his father. And 
while he was still a long way off. His father saw him, and he felt compassion for him. And he ran to him, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But then his father interrupted him, and he called to his servants. He said, Quick, go get the best robe and put it on him. And, and put a ring on his finger, and, and put shoes on his feet. And go, get that calf we've been fattening up for a feast and prepare it. And let's eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead. And now he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile... The older brother was out in the field working, and as he came back in, he went near the house and he could hear. He could hear the music and dancing. And so he called to one of the servants and he said, what's going on? And the servant said, your brother has come. And Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. He was angry. And he refused to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father. He said, look, For so many years, I have slaved for you. I have never once disobeyed a single command of yours. And you never gave me even a a goat to celebrate with my friends. Yet when this, this son of yours, who has gone out, and wasted your property on whores, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And his father said to him, Son, you are always with me. And every single thing I have is yours. But don't you see, we had to celebrate and be glad. For this brother of yours was dead. And now he's alive. He was lost. And now he's found. Jesus told this story to explain to us the reason behind Christmas. To explain to us so we can know why He came. 
why he came into this world, what he came to do, and why it matters. And so to help us prepare over the next several weeks to, to prepare to celebrate his birth at Christmas, uh, we're going to, Lord willing, spend some time focusing on this story. Even though it doesn't say anything about Joseph, Mary, and the shepherds, the angels, um, this story tells us why the Son of God took on humanity and was born in a stable in Bethlehem. Now, the story is often called the, the parable or the story of the prodigal son. <coughs> That's a bit misleading for a couple reasons. For one reason, uh, Jesus starts out the story by saying that there were two sons. Man had two sons, not just one. And this story is about both of them. But even more importantly, if we, if we think of this or call this the story of the prodigal son, that kind of sets us up to miss the main point. Because the main point is not what happens to the prodigal son. Prodigal means wasteful, like the way the younger son wasted his inheritance. But, but what happens to him isn't really the main point of the story. Now, it's a huge point, and it's an absolutely stunningly beautiful point, and we need to get it, and, and it's important. But there's another point to this story that's even more important. The main lesson Jesus was teaching with this story is, is something else. And to get that, to get that, we need to understand why Jesus told this story in the first place. We've got to get that. And that's what I want to do uh, this morning with, with this message. What was Jesus aiming at when he told this story? Why did he tell it? Okay, there are two answers to that question. The first answer is he told this story because he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and save the lost. Uh, he says those very words just a few chapters later. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man, that's him, that's Jesus, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why Jesus came. That's why Christmas happened. That's why God became man in the womb of a virgin. That's why he was born in Bethlehem. Because he came to seek and to save lost people. And, it, and it's that reason. It's that driving motivation in his heart that Jesus is explaining with this story about the two sons. Now to see this, you've got to back up a little bit here and see what was happening when Jesus told the story. So chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. So they're just, they're, they're gathering. Large crowds of tax collectors and sinners are coming close to Jesus. So they want to hear what he has to say. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Or as another translation puts it, muttered. What a great word. 
muttered, saying, This guy, this guy, he, he welcomes sinners and eats with them. So, you get two groups of people that Jesus is interacting with. Two very, very different groups of people. In the first group, they're, they're liking Jesus. They're happy with him. They're drawn near. They're listening to him. And, and, and they're just wanting to be close to him. And then you've got this other group. And they're very upset with Jesus. They are ticked off. And why? Well, because he was welcoming the first group. That really bothered them because they were absolutely convinced that no good, decent, God-honoring person would ever do that. And so this guy, he's really messed up. And that's because, you know, tax collectors and sinners... We're not good people. You know, it, it's kind of easy to read this story and go, well, you know, they, you know, they just were a little rough. They were nice people, but they were really rough. No, 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 no. These were the kind of people that when you were growing up, your parents told you not to hang out with. Okay, these, well, tax collectors, they were traitors. There's just no other way to say it. They betrayed their own people. They were Jews who were helping the enemy, the Romans, rip off their fellow Jews. Take advantage of them, just squeeze them for as much money as they could get. So nobody liked tax collectors. You think IRS agents have it bad. They don't have it anything like these guys. I mean, they were terrible. And so nobody hung around with them. You, nobody wanted to be around tax collectors except other tax collectors. And then you've got the, the sinners. That was sort of the catch-all word for the prostitutes, the pimps, the drunks, the drug addicts, the drug dealers, the other shady characters that no you know, good person would dare be seen with. <laughs> And Jesus attracted those kinds of people. I just have to wonder how different church would be if we attracted those kinds of people. So, you know, as far as the the Pharisees and the scribes, I mean, these are the, you know, these are the religious elite. And it's bad enough that Jesus... um, attracted these people but what was way worse jesus did not treat these undesirable people the way they would with stern looks of disapproval when these people looked jesus in the eye they saw something else they saw compassion And they felt something that they didn't feel from the other guys. They felt wanted. Wanted. Which, frankly, is amazing because Jesus, don't miss this, 
Jesus did not approve of their sin any more than the scribes and the Pharisees did. He didn't. He never pulled any punches. Read what he says. Go, go read the Sermon on the Mount, starting in Matthew chapter 5. He never watered down God's standards of goodness, God's standards of behavior, which these people were just violating all over the place. In fact, just the opposite, Jesus actually taught everybody that God's standards were way higher than they thought. So, you know, this kind of unmasks the fallacy that to attract a crowd, you've got to water down the truth. Jesus never did that. He never watered down God's truth. He never failed to call sin, sin. And yet people just flocked to him. Somehow, somehow these people knew that the reason Jesus told them the truth, the reason Jesus told them the truth was because he actually, genuinely cared about them. He welcomed them. He sat down with them. He ate with them. Why? Because he actually loved them. And somehow they knew that. Man, did that bug the scribes and the Pharisees. Man, that just bugged them. And they want to know, what a, who is this guy? What is he doing? What in the world is he doing hanging out with these irreligious, immoral, rule-breaking people? What, what's he doing? And that's when Jesus begins telling stories. Verse 3. So he told them, don't miss that, he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. Rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so, in the same way, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he goes on and tells the story we started with. The story of the two sons. What's Jesus doing? He's answering their question. You want to know why I welcome sinners? You want to know why I eat with them? Here's why. And his answer is, it's, well, it's breathtaking. And it's radical. And it's so different from what we naturally think about God. His answer, you see these 
tax collectors, these sinners, these irreligious, messed up people. You know what? God looks at those people. He does not look at them. He does not look at them as worthless things to be despised. He looks at them as precious, valuable things that are lost and need to be found. And I came to seek them and find them. That's why. And if you are lost today, Jesus came to find you too. In these stories, Jesus, look what he's saying. He's saying one lost person matters to God. One lost person. One. We don't think like that. But God thinks like that. You matter to God. That should just stun every one of us. You matter to God. You matter to God the way one lost sheep matters to a shepherd. You matter to God the way one lost coin matters to a poor woman. You matter to God the way one lost son matters to his father. And Jesus said, all of heaven rejoices. Party." Over one sinner who repents, who goes home to the Father. Over one lost person who gets found. Think about that. The, the infinite, awesome creator God who rules over all things, who rules over all the galaxies, he cares about lost people one by one. Staggering. So if you are lost, if you are separated from God because you're going your own way instead of going God's way, and you know it, please hear me. Your being here today is not an accident. This is not an accident that you're here. You are hearing the very thing God wants you to hear. Jesus came to seek and to save you he came to pay the death penalty for your sin don't miss the point of this parable it's it's not that sin doesn't matter god didn't care about it oh sin matters because jesus in keeping coming to seek and save the lost that meant going to the cross to rescue us from the judgment we all deserve He came to do that for you. He came to pay the death penalty. You just need to admit you're lost. Admit it. And be willing to turn around. And then ask Jesus to do what He came to do. To save you. He came to seek and save the lost. That's one reason why He told this story. Uh, But there's another reason. (laughs) He also told this story because there are a lot of lost people who don't think they're lost. There are a lot of lost people who don't think they're lost. 
They don't look lost. They don't feel lost. And if you were to suggest to them that they're lost, they would probably be deeply offended. So these two groups of people that Jesus is interacting with, you know, the tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees and the scribes, well, they correspond. They're represented by the two brothers in the story. And so (coughs) the tax collectors and sinners correspond to the younger brother. And these are people who do not follow the moral laws of God. They break the moral laws of God. They're not interested in following the ceremonial laws that that religious Jews would follow. Uh, Tim Keller, who wrote a wonderful book on this, by the way, he, uh, he puts it like this. Like the younger brother, they left home by leaving the traditional morality of their families and society. Okay, so that's tax collectors and sinners, rule breakers. Now, the other group, the scribes and the Pharisees, they correspond to the older brother. These are those who hold on to the family traditions, and they strive to obey the moral code, and they read, they read their Bibles, and they go to religious services, and they try really hard to do the right thing. Now, Here's the key question. To which of these two groups did Jesus tell this story? He wasn't talking to the first group. He wasn't talking to the younger brothers of the world. You know, sometimes we hear the story as if the main point here is to give assurance to the younger brothers of this world the immoral, irreligious rule-breakers who are obviously lost, as if the point is to assure them that, yes, God does love them, and God invites them to turn around, and God wants them to come home and be forgiven. Now, is that true? Yeah, it's absolutely true. Jesus was, you know, doing this. But he was doing that before he told the story. That's not why he told the story. He wasn't telling the story to them. He was telling the story to the older brothers, to the second group, to the religious people, the moral people, the rule-keeping people, the older brothers. Why? Because their attitude, their attitude toward Jesus and what he was doing, their attitude toward Jesus and what he was teaching, their attitude, their response like the response of the older brother proved that they were just as lost as the younger brother. But they didn't think they were. Jesus wasn't trying to warm their hearts. Hey guys, you seem kind of upset. Let me tell you a little story. This will make you feel better. (laughs) No. No. No, you know what he was doing? He was trying to absolutely shatter their attitude. He was trying to shatter their notions, their false ideas of what it means to be lost and found. He wanted to shatter their thinking about what it means to actually be lost from God. And most of all, he wanted to shatter their notions of what God's heart is really like toward lost people. 
So, you know, if, if, uh, if you feel offended or bothered by this story, and, and if you, <laughs> you read about the older brother and you think to yourself, yeah, I kind of think he has a point. I kind of feel like he got a raw deal here. Then you know exactly how the scribes and the Pharisees were feeling. And it needs to be a big warning. To tell you that you need to listen very carefully to what Jesus is saying. You need to let him teach you what it really means to be lost from God and how to be found. See, Jesus in this story, he's challenging what we all naturally think about God and how to be right with God. And yes, this story, it totally points out the destructive self-centeredness of that younger brother and his foolishness and his rebellion. It totally points out how destructive his self-centeredness is. But it also points out how absolutely destructive is the self-righteousness of the older brother. The way to God, the way to God is not immorality, obviously. But the way to God is not morality either. The way to God is not immorality. The way to God is not morality. The way to God is humility. Humility. Admitting, realizing, believing that everyone is lost apart from the seeking grace of God in Jesus Christ. Every single one of us. Look, your greatest need today, if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, man, I'm kind of like that younger brother. I've just been, you know blowing God off and doing my own thing and you know yeah I can see it's hurting people it's not good look your greatest need is not to become more moral that's not your greatest need your greatest need is God himself and the only way to get him is through the one who came to seek and save the lost Jesus Christ that's your need So we're going to be looking at this story and, and seeking to understand what Jesus is saying about being lost and being found. And there are two important questions you need to ask yourself as we do this. Here's the first one. Have you admitted to your own lostness? Have you admitted you're lost? Have you admitted your own lostness? Now, your lostness may look very immoral, very rebellious, very defiant, you know, breaking all the rules. Or your lostness may look very moral. Following the rules, going to church, looking respectable. But still having no real relationship with the Father. <laughs> it's almost like that older brother wished he could have done what the younger brother did because he got away with it. Son, you're always with me. Somehow that didn't matter. No relationship with the Father. 
So your lostness might look immoral, it might look moral. I want to talk about this more next time, but the point is, until you admit you're lost, until you admit you can't get to God, no matter how moral you try to make yourself, no matter how rigorously you try to keep all the rules, you will never experience God's rescue, and Christmas will not mean very much until you admit your own lostness. And then the other question is especially important for those of us you know, who come to church regularly, try to keep the rules. That's a good thing. I'm not, don't, okay, don't walk out of going, man, Pastor Scott said, we don't have to be moral. We don't have to keep the rules. No. That, wrong, wrong point. But, here's the question. What's your attitude toward the younger brothers of the world? See, how you and I answer that question reveals a great deal about our heart and whether or not our heart is in tune with God's heart. When we look at the younger brothers of the world, are we just offended? Are we just irritated? Are we angry at the way they break the rules? Are we indignant at their immoral behavior? Because if we are, that's a problem. Because what we should be feeling is compassion. Why? Because these people are lost from God. And it's going to kill them. They are trying to find fulfillment without God. And it's an absolute dead-end disaster. Might not look like it right now, but that's where it's going. And so those of us who know that, we ought to be looking with compassion at people driving 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction. Because what's waiting at the other end is absolute disaster. Lost people were attracted to Jesus because of his integrity, because of his honesty, and maybe most of all because of his compassion. When they looked into his eyes, what did they see? They saw God's love for them. What do they see when they look in our eyes? I'm going to invite you to bow and pray with me, if you would. And I just think of a couple of ways that you know you might be feeling needing to respond and one is that you know if you haven't yet admitted your lostness i hope you're hearing jesus came to seek and save people just like you <coughs> and like that fellow who gave his testimony that we saw in video there is nothing you possibly could have done that would disqualify you. You know why? Because there's only one qualification to be a follower of Jesus, and that is to be a sinner who needs to be found, a lost sinner who needs to be found, and you just say, Jesus, please. Not because of anything I've done or can ever do, but because of you, your mercy, your death on the cross, your resurrection, because you came to seek and save me, would you please save me? That's it. And maybe you're here and you're listening and you're thinking, man, that young older brother guy, I feel like I'm a little bit too much like him. And then I would just invite you to pray. 
and ask God to work on your heart. Let's ask him to tune our hearts to be more like his, to have the compassion and the mercy, not to not tell the truth, but to tell the truth in love. So we're going to pray. I'm going to give you a moment, and then I'll pray. And uh, let's ask God to do a work in our hearts. Lord, I pray if there's a lost person in this room today that they would know your heart toward them, that you're calling them to come. You're calling them to respond to your seeking and saving love in Jesus. I pray that they would do that. And I pray for all of us that you would help us understand what it means to be lost and found. Help us. Help us live out the kind of compassion that you have shown us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.